Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 15th, and our chapter for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul talked about the eternal, the invisible, and then the temporary. And he goes right into chapter 5, following what he just finished chapter 4 with, And here's what he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this is a metaphor talking about our bodies, this tent that is this earthly house that we live in, it is temporary. He's just been talking about the temporary and the eternal, starting at verse 16 of chapter four, ending with verse 18 of chapter four, and he is following through on his thought, no chapter division in the original text. For we know that if this earthly house, this tent, a temporary structure is destroyed, is torn down, is done away with, that we have a building from God, a house, and this is the word oikos, not the word skena, which is the word that's used for tent. Two different words altogether. One is a more permanent structure, that is the oikos, the house, and then the tent, the skena, which can be done away with very easily. He says this oikos, not made with hands. In other words, it is a body that is not of this world. It's eternal. It is glorified. It is celestial, not terrestrial. Remember back 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he answered the questions about the resurrection? Go back and reread the closing verses of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and the eternal and the temporal, the celestial and the terrestrial, the mortal body, the immortal body. All of this will come back to your minds. And it doesn't hurt us to reread things and reread chapters. And so he says, this house not made with hands is eternal in the heavens. One's going to last forever, the bodies that we have when we get to heaven in the resurrection. For in this we groan, that is, this present body earnestly desiring to be clothed with the habitation which is from heaven. We have right now a terrestrial and earthly body. This is a natural body. One day we will have a spiritual body, one that is like the Lord Jesus had after his resurrection, one that is permanent, one that we will never shed, one that is forever settled in the heavens. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, in this present body, we groan being burdened, not because we want to not have a body and be unclothed, he says, but further clothed with a different kind of body one that is eternal, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, you can go back again to 1 Corinthians 15, the very language that the Corinthians were familiar with. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
It's just like a down payment. It's earnest money. The Holy Spirit is our earnest, our guarantee of what God has begun in us. He is going to finish in us. Aren't you glad of that? It's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon Him. What God started, He's going to finish. None will be lost. Not you, not I, no one who is saved, truly born again, will be lost ever again. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in this body, we're absent from the Lord. While we're in this earthly state, we are not in the presence of Jesus. Yes, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ lives in us, but we're not face to face with Him in body. For we walk by trust, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by putting our commitment in His hands, our body, our soul, our spirit in His hands. And we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. So while we are on this earth, we are not in His presence in paradise. But we would rather be absent from this body and at home with the Lord. Again, you can go back and listen to the podcast that I've already done on what happens to a believer when they die, when they die physically. The word death, as we have learned, is the word separation. When a person dies, they are separated. That is the part we cannot see from the part we can see. The part we cannot see is called the soul and spirit. The part that we can see is the body. God made us in three parts. The Apostle Paul said to the church at Thessaloniki in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I pray that your whole body, soul, and spirit be set apart, be dedicated, consecrated unto God until the day when we stand before him. The Spirit of God, the Word of God is able to separate between the soul and the spirit. And so just for imagery, I want you to understand that when you look at a person who is alive today, your husband, your wife, your children, any friend, anyone you see, any human being made in the image of God, God made them body. But the part you cannot see is soul and spirit. So go back and listen to those podcasts that have to do with the concept of what happens to a person when they die. And I describe this more fully. And so the scripture says, as long as we're here in this body, we are not in the bodily presence of the Lord. But we're longing to the day when the body, soul and spirit with a brand new body will stand before God. You see, the resurrection that we talked about in 1 Corinthians 15 has to do with the body. The moment that we die, the soul and spirit is in the presence of Jesus. Death is not a ceasing to exist. When Jesus died on the cross, he never ceased to exist. Sometimes we talk about God dying. God did not die. Why? Because he is eternal. This is a mystery. When we talk about Jesus dying, Jesus never ceased to exist, but he experienced the exodus from this life into the next. And his body, his physical body died and his being a man died. But his soul and spirit, just like anyone else, went into the very presence of his father. 
And what was his resurrection about? It was about the reuniting of soul and spirit and body. And the body that he had was one that was like what he had, but different. In other words, he could appear and disappear. He could walk through and appear and travel through solid material. When he appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, the doors were locked, the windows were locked, and he appeared to them. He didn't travel at Mach 1, the speed of sound. He didn't travel at the speed of light. He traveled at the speed of thought. He could think Emmaus, the road to Emmaus, and he was there. He could think Jerusalem, he's there. He'd think Galilee, he's there. He didn't travel in an automobile. He didn't travel in a spaceship. He traveled at the speed of thought. After all, he's the one that created everything. He can do whatever he wants to. But the Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him. We will see him as he is. We will have bodies like the Lord Jesus. So when you want to know what your body's going to be like after the resurrection and glorified, it'll be like Jesus' body. It will be recognizable or non-recognizable. It will have some of the scars that are meaningful and recognizable after the resurrection, just like before. Jesus said, look, Thomas, I want you to see it's my hands. They have the scars. And look, you see the scar that is uh, in my side. Those are brand marks. And Paul said, I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. Now, this is not saying that someone who has a hideous scar is going to have that scar in heaven, that body. No, we're going to have glorified bodies. But Jesus, when he wanted to, could show them the body and the scars that were recognizable so that they would not doubt he's who he really was. And so all to say, this is what this passage is talking about, that it's better for us to stand before the Lord because when we stand before God, that means we're in our glorified bodies. But in this life, we have an assignment before God, and that's to love Him, live for Him, serve Him. Because verse 9 says, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So whether we are present or absent, our goal, our aim, our ambition, this is what verse 9 is all about, is telling us that whether we live or whether we die, whether we're in His presence here or His presence there, the goal of life The goal of life for the child of God, every child of God, the aim, the objective of life is to be pleasing to God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about someone else. It is about pleasing the Lord Jesus. I want to please my wife. I want to make her happy. I want to hear her say, well done. All of that is good. She may say it, she may not, but that is beside the point. It is okay to please someone else at a certain level, but the one we live for, the one we worship, the one we die for, the one that we want to stand before more than anyone else and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant is the Lord Jesus. So my aim in life, and I contend that your aim in life should be to please Jesus. When people say, what is your goal in life? To be faithful to God, to please him, to hear him say, well done, you've accomplished what I've given you to do. 
This was what Jesus said. I have come to serve, to give my life a ransom for others. This was his goal. This was what he set his face like Flintstone to do. He had one goal, and that was to please the Father. Whatever it was that the Father sent him to do, he wanted to accomplish that. So Paul says, therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, to to Jesus. For we must all appear before the Bema of Christ. Judgment seat translates the Greek word Bema, B-E-M-A. Some would say Bema, the Bema of Christ. That was a very well-known word and concept to the Corinthians. Remember, near where Corinth was was the Isthmus, and that's where the Ismanian games were held. They competed in the games. Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. They competed in the games in order to win, not to just compete, but to win. God made us to win. God made us to be successful. God made us to have significance in life. And so he says, uh, we fight not as one who has no goal or no aim. We're not out here shadow boxing. We're looking for a knockout at the enemy. And we do that through the power of Christ. And so he says, we have one thing in mind. We have one aim in mind, and that is that we would win a crown, that we would be pleasing to him. And Paul said they do all they do in Corinth so that they can discipline their bodies, so that they can discipline their mind, so they can compete in the games to win, so that they can stand before a judge who is up on a pedestal, on a platform, and they walk beneath him, bow their heads down, and he puts a laurel or oak leaf crown that has been hand-woven on their head. But that's going to fade away. That's why Paul says they do it to earn a corruptible crown, one that'll perish, one that'll be sticks in no time, and the green will fade away. But we do it for an incorruptible crown. In other words, we live for Christ. And so we all will stand before the Bama of Christ. Now, Bama is what you see in the Olympic Games that the athletes stand on, and the judge comes, and he puts a medal around their neck. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. It will be like at the day of Christ. In the day of the Apostle Paul and the Corinthians, the judge stood on the Bema. He stood on the platform. The Bema means a platform. It's the same as a pulpit. A pulpit's a platform. It's not the desk, the podium. The platform that a man stands on that's raised, that is the pulpit. That is the Bema. That's a raised platform. That's what a Bema is. We just have our terminology kind of mixed up in the modern day church lingo. The Lord Jesus will be on the Bema. He will be standing there, and we will come before him, and he will place a crown on our head. When we bow before him, we will put our head forward. He will put a crown on our head, and there's five mentioned in the Bible that he will give to us, various crowns, and then he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Paul said, I'm living for that day. That's what I'm living for, is to please Him. And He said, each one of us are going to receive the things done in the body according to what He's done, whether it's good, that's the word, just for good, genuine, valuable, or bad. He's not talking about bad works as far as good works being contrasted, whether determining whether we're going to be saved. No, if 
Only the saved will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone else will stand before the great white throne judgment and be condemned. But those who are at the Bema of Christ, they are going to be rewarded because the whole purpose of the Bema is to reward, not to determine whether you're a citizen or not. If we're following the imagery of the Ismanian and the Greek games, you couldn't compete without being a citizen. And so... They were already entered into the race. They're not going to be disqualified. That is, they're not going to have their citizenship lost if they do not do what they're supposed to do. They're just not going to win the prize, the crown. And so salvation is not the issue at the judgment seat of Christ. It is rewards. It's not salvation that is at stake here. It is service. And what we have done, whether it is valuable, and the word bad doesn't mean evil, it's the word phalos. It's not the word for evil. It's not the word for bad in the sense of wickedness. It is judging as to whether what you did was good in the sense of valuable and lasting and eternal or whether it was bad. The word is phalos. It means worthless. It means rubbish. It means waste. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust that we are well known in your consciences. And so he is saying to the Corinthians, please understand that everything we do in this life, this life is temporary, and we're going to stand before the Lord Jesus one day. So you need to live your life with that in mind, with the eternal, not the temporary in mind, because this body that we have, it is going to decay and get old and hurt and be sick, but we are going to get a new body that's going to be brand new. Now, I wish I had time to go into verses 12 through the end of the chapter, and I will make mention of it in the next podcast because it's so critical that we understand what the Lord means when he talks about if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And you go ahead and read the rest of the chapter. We'll come back to it in the next podcast as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.